Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 409, and we're recapping the 2023 EXO Death Hike. If you guys are new to the concept of the Death Hike, what that is, and what that has looked like in the past, there are links in the show description to check out multiple years worth of recaps of different death hikes that we have done. And then you can also go back just a couple of episodes and hear the before the death hike episode for this year. So in episode 407, Steve and I talked about this year's death hike, what the plan was, what the route was, what some of the goals were leading up to the death hike. But today, in this episode, we are speaking about what actually happened because things don't go as planned very often in life, and especially with a death hike. So on today's podcast, we have four different guests, really five different participants, because Steve was one of them, but four different segments with Dan, Jory, Justin, and Jeff. Two of these guys were new to the death hike, and it was their first experience, which you'll hear about. The other two, Dan and Justin were the only two finishers of this year's death hike. So we wanted to pull in a variety of different experiences, lessons learned, things that went well and things that didn't, and tell the story from different perspectives. So that's what we're going to do right now, starting off with Dan Solzman. Well, Dan, uh, to give listeners some context, just start here. What is your history with the death hike? uh i've been doing them since 2018 um i missed i missed the second hundred miler um in between there because i was deployed but other than that i've been on the rest of them so a couple in the frank church alaska white clouds and now this one so i think this is five for me what's your if i asked you like what does the hike mean to you right like why do you keep doing them so as much as it's a fun weekend with with buddies and you know getting 25 guys together from all over the country and busting balls and having a good time that's it's uh it's kind of my weekend of the year it's my like litmus test to see whether or not i'm in shape whether or not i'm mentally prepared for anything that may come my way if i can adapt and adjust and overcome to situations, you know, that are outside of my control in the mountains. I really kind of use it as a measuring stick to see where I'm at and to lean into, um, you know, just being down for whatever and kind of crushing myself, uh, before <laughs> hunting season. With you being involved with planning this year, you know, it's, a, I think, a different experience in some years where you just hear about the route or maybe you get the route and there's there's always unknowns. Like, even though you're involved in planning, there's unknowns. But because you were involved with planning and the route and all that, I guess your expectations, I don't know. What was expectations versus reality for you this year? It was more or less exactly what I expected. Um, Steve and I had talked about what we wanted the route to be this year, you know, and kind of vaguely as far as difficulty wise and everyone not being able to finish, you know, getting back to a real suck fest of a death hike. So I put together what I thought would be um, exactly that. And then Steve thought it was going to be easy for some reason. 
which kind of <laughs> <laughs> which kind of made me uh, second guess a little bit what I had put together, but I really still believed that it was going to be the big technical sections were really going to be a curveball for a lot of guys, and then coming off of that into just endless more vert up and down nothing's flat in that country that it would just it would it would be a struggle and uh i think it proved out to be exactly that i mean um yeah getting to getting to plan the route for a death hike was uh was a real honor that was a feather in the cap and i, I appreciated that and hopefully hopefully steve thought i'd you know hopefully you guys enjoyed it hopefully steve liked it but i love man i, I like remember I think I gave you a high five after like mile 14. I was like, dude, that was the best 14 miles of any death hike we've ever done. <laughs> that was, uh, that yeah, good. yeah, that was, that was uh, just freaking awesome. I enjoyed the crap out of that. You were Dan, one of two guys to finish and you know, you, you haven't, unless correct me if I'm wrong, you've never not finished, right? Like you've always completed the death hikes. Uh, and completed them strong, even when you were suffering. Uh, I've witnessed that. Was this, this is a lower participation rate, but also just a lower finish rate than any of the others. Was it for you more difficult at any point to stay in it and finish this as guys were dropping off and things like that? No. Um, so for me personally, like there's a kind of a sick part of me that really wanted a lot of guys to drop. And then the more guys that dropped, the more fueled I was by that. So like you, you couldn't have dragged me off of that route. I was going to finish. And then, you know, the fact that I put it together and then over the last four months have been told countless times by everybody and their friend who's an expert in that country that the route wasn't doable. There's no way we were going to make it through there. The snow conditions were too much. Like, you know, just hearing that for the last four months, I I, I came into it with uh, something to prove, and I was going to – that's just what it was. I was going to get through it. So, And at no point was I wondering whether or not we were going to finish. If anything, I was bummed that we cut out the third 12-er out of the middle mm-hmm. of it. That was kind of the one I was looking forward to the most. Hearing all that for yeah. four months as you're working on the route, Dan, what made you think it was possible? Do you have experience in that country? Or like, you know, you said, like you're hearing so many people say this isn't possible. What made you think that it was as you're planning? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I had an answer for you. Some sort of a uh, twisted belief in me and my stupid buddies that we would be able to pull it off somehow. And uh, um, I, I did a ton of preparing. I talked to guys that have run through there. I've never been in that country. I have no technical experience or, you know, really that's way higher up than I've been in the mountains before, but, um, I've just did a lot of research. I got routes from people who have done it. I've talked to the, the people who have the, like the FKTs through that country and climbed all of the 12ers talked to people about snow conditions, joined a bunch of different Facebook groups and kind of poked around getting, getting as much info as I could. I watched a hundred different YouTube videos on all of those summits and all of those trails and kind of, you know, I gathered as much info as I could and nothing about it seemed like anything significantly out of our 
out of our range of what we'd be able to do. It's just whether or not, you know, we could push through all of it at once. So Hmm. seemed to work out. Steve, what do you got for Dan? Like questions, comments on what you witnessed, et cetera. I would, yeah, both Dan and I, I think we're probably shocked by the amount of guys that had trouble with the exposure, the heights to me, that was, I mean, it was, how many guys didn't have issues, Dan? Like five of us out of the thir- <laughs> yeah, out of the thirteen. Yeah, yeah, we were ten miles in, and there was five of us left. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah, and only. Well, yeah, even because Dione bailed out, but he was he was injured and and afraid of the you know, afraid of the heights. So yeah, five mm-hmm. out of the thirteen guys were. Um, I think Corey Ford. He didn't finish, but I don't think he was struggling with that. I never did talk to him about that. But anyways, more than half of the guys were, you get, you got into that stuff where you're, you know, chicken out Ridge going up Bora. It's exposed. It's never, I never felt in danger for my life. Everything was, you know, stable rock and secure, but certainly you're walking on a six inch ledge and it's very aggressively sloped down away from you for 3000 feet. It's, it's. I could see it's scary, but it just it really surprised me as I know all these guys hunt hard and get after it, that uh, it's like certainly find yourselves maybe not in an elk hunting situations, but out there mule deer hunting and whatnot, that you're in those conditions out there in the field. So that surprised me. Um, it was, yeah, the, I guess I'm asking questions for Dan, but I'm just talking out loud. I think I'm sure for you as well, Dan, the, there was a lot of mental fatigue that first 14 miles or just mm-hmm. by the time we got off the backside of Idaho, not knowing if, you know, cause we were the first group in there going up everything and just, you know, up Bora, we were, I mean, as far as you know, probably the first people to do it without like crampons and ice axes this year. Yeah. As far as I know, we were yeah. one of the first groups up there. Yeah. So that was kind of, you know, we just weren't sure if it was doable until you got there. And then, you know, once you got there, you're like, well, this looks safe. We'll just keep going, you know? And, uh, that was certainly that, that's part I loved, right? Like, cause not only are you phys- very physically demanding, it's very mentally, um, taxing on you. And that, that takes a toll. It's, uh, yeah, I, th- I yeah. think a, a big part of it too, is like, I feel like the way you and me went at it, it was like, at least for me, I was just taking bite-sized pieces of it. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. let's, let's get across this 20 yard section and then see what's over there. And then, then we'll cross the snow bridge. Like, okay, then we'll skirt around, you know, put the clampons on and get around this little piece. And like, rather than staring up at the summit the whole time and being completely overwhelmed, like just get through this little piece. And then, you know, if it's, if we can't do it, we can't do it, but let's get as far as we possibly can. And then all of a sudden we were at the top and then we're looking at the next one, like, okay, well (laughs) maybe it's not as bad as it looks from over here. (laughs) Yeah. I remember we were on Bora and then looking at Idaho going, huh, that one looks interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll know when we're over there. It wasn't like, Oh, I don't, I don't think in my head, I'm thinking like, I don't know if we're going to be able to do this and out loud. I'm like, Oh yeah, we got it. We're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What was the uh, most difficult part for you? I mean, you obviously hiked the vast majority of it with you and you just freaking crushed it. Did you ever 
struggle at any point? You didn't seem to. Um, that section between the saddle and the summit of Mount Idaho was a little sketchy. Yeah. And I, I don't like, I kind of took the passenger seat roll and let you and Will kind of suss out where the route was going to be for that little piece. Just cause I was like, well, if they get through it, I'm going to get through it, but I don't want to be the guy out front that falls off something. So <laughs> I just, I, I was like, let you guys can guinea pig this route out. And then I'll just hang back here at 20 yards behind you, you know? And then, uh, but other, like just that little stretch in there where you're, yeah, you don't know what's coming. And it was, you know, you can't see a hundred yards in front of you because there's so many different rock outcroppings and formations. You don't know if you're going to get somewhere and then get stuck there. And then just the yeah. rock conditions on that being completely different from Bora. Everything mm-hmm. on Bora was solid footing. You had handholds everywhere. Like anything you grabbed onto, you could use to pull yourself through. And it was the exact opposite on the, the literally one ridge over. Everything you grabbed onto fell apart. Everything you stepped on broke away. Like it was just shit rock the whole way up. So mentally that was, that was interesting to have to kind of adjust yeah but yeah what i didn't think i was you know not going to make it through that at any point but that was probably the most difficult section yeah i remember uh as we were climbing up that it was certainly i never felt uh, you know at high risk certainly it's you know there's a couple exposed spots and the rock was very loose and you're going to slide but uh, it was more climbing up that and then looking over to the, the ridge we had to descend to go through and I'm just looking at it the whole time. Like there's no way in hell we're making it through that. Uh, and that was a great example of, we just took it at 10 yard chunks. Like just, okay, we got over this kind of technical spot. Now, how do we get through the next 20 yards? How do you, yeah, it, uh, yeah, I got, um, pretty, uh, pretty hairy. Say that. Yeah. And from what I heard, the guys that were behind us watching us do that, were also getting just, mind boggled by what was happening watching f- all four of us go in a different direction and then turn around and come <laughs> back and go somewhere else and, uh, <laughs> yeah we were like little little ants crawling all over the place just like just because there was no going up bora there was a pretty defined trail and route going up idaho it just you know it's like i think we're kind of maybe this is the kind of normal trail path people take to some of this but it was between snow covering stuff and i think just significantly less people who summit idaho that uh that just didn't exist so it was more just kind of it felt like we were out in the middle of the mountains hunting with you know no trails around just trying to navigate our way through it uh so it was it just felt more sketchy because it's one thing to be like oh people do this all the time i got this to be like yeah are we probably the first people to do this you know certainly this year so yeah was it easy for you dan after the summits and all the technical stuff you know which was obviously up front and hike like once you did Bora made it through all of what you described did Idaho and you know what the rest of the routes like was it essentially done deal in your head at that point because you you've suffered through like uncomfortable miles or climbs or what have you aside from all the technicality that you've just done so I'm assuming you would have had a lot of confidence just like all right hard parts over now it's just a matter of completing miles yeah I was I was amped up once I came down off Idaho and my feet were in decent shape I was like it's smooth sailing from here like i expected i was going to try to run some pretty big sections of it and once there was only five of us left i was like all right well it's not a race anymore like let's just 
hang out and hammer out the rest of this and then um, try to catch Jeff and Jack that went back around the other way mm-hmm. that skipped the summits and came in. That was kind of like the only thing that was kind of left to conquer. It was like, let's see if we can hike fast enough to, to catch up to those guys. But yeah, I was pretty confident towards the end of it that it was, I would just hammer it out. So you said coming off, I know your feet felt good. Talk about that. Like shoes you were wearing and yeah. Yeah. So I was running Topo trail venture mids, like a trail running shoe, a high top trail runner. And then I started with both ankles taped. So since I didn't have the structure and support of a boot, I figured, and I've been having like a ton of tendonitis in both ankles, just from all the volume of training and what have you. So I just, uh, I started like, you know, high school football game style ankle tape just to keep both ankles together and taped, you know, my two biggest toes on both feet and then toe socks and then those shoes on. And the shoes were great. I like, I couldn't have asked for a better scenario with my feet. So I kicked, when we came down off Idaho and I cut all that tape off and my feet, you know, no blisters, no hot spots, nothing. Threw on some dry socks and was ready to go. So mm. the, sh- the shoes were awesome. I know you were wearing Topos too, Steve, and kind of had the same experience. And Anthony, yeah. Was, so yeah, I was wearing the the Topo Mountain Racer two, and just a low top shoe. Uh, it's got a little extra. I put the Superfeet Adaptike Max insole in there a little bit more cushion and, and that shoe's got a lot of volume. So I kind of filled that up. And then in the technical sections, I would run two pairs of socks just to get my foot nice and snug inside there. So it's slipping around. And then when we hit the the flatter trails, you know, when, it, when we did take a break, I'd swap out to just one sock just for kind of maximum breathability. And I like, you know, I finally threw in the towel at my mile 35 because of my knee and, uh, but my feet, I was like, I felt like I've been standing in my house in slippers. It was the, I could not believe how good they felt. Yep. Same boat there. Um, my feet are yeah. still in good shape. I don't have anything lingering going on. Came mm-hmm. home and good to go. Yeah. Finished the hike with all eight toenails I started with. So that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to the other two? <laughs> uh, don't worry about those. They were quitters. <laughs> <laughs> they quit a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's awesome. What's, uh, yeah, I know for me, you know, I had to throw on the towel. Uh, my IT band flared up as we were coming off Idaho, and and then it just every step progressively got worse and worse and worse and worse. And when I've pushed through it in the past, it takes two to three weeks to recover. And I was just like, son of a, I just don't, you know, I want to go back and, you know, be sore for a couple of days, but be able to get right back to hiking and training and not be down for the count. Um, man, that uh, left a bitter pill in my, like, I, I literally contemplated, I think I'm going to go back before hunting season and just, if I don't do the whole route, at least go do all three of those peaks in a day and just knock that out just to get a little redemption. But for you, obviously you finished the route. What's kind of your big takeaway? Uh, big takeaway. I, I really feel this year, particularly how, how much it, it pays off to just be mentally prepared to just mm. com- completely like just wrap your head around what you could possibly get into before you leave the house. I think we saw that shake out, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, with how many guys just 
weren't up, weren't up to that and weren't able to break things down in a way that they could digest, you know, on the trail. So for me, that was a big one showing up and looking forward to suffering and, and letting it happen instead of trying to fight with it, it's trying to, trying to pack extra stuff to make yourself comfortable in a situation where you're, you're going to be uncomfortable no matter what happens. Like, yeah, I was kind of watching guys, you know, before the hike, put things in and out of their pack and everybody's weighing everything and sitting there like, like it's supposed to suck, you know, whatever happens, yeah. it's going to happen. Nothing you bring is going to make this better. If you're 30 miles in and you feel like shit, like uh, carrying this extra stuff, is only going to make it worse. So I was kind of, was kind of intrigued watching the process of other guys kind of last minute second guess and, and try to try to make themselves more prepared by bringing different stuff. And I don't know, that was kind of interesting for me. That was mm-hmm. something that I, I left the trailhead wondering how that was going to shake out and for, you know, I know, I know how you pack and I don't try to, I don't try to match pack weights with you anymore, but I'm like, <laughs> we had four months to figure out what was going to go into your pack. Like, yeah, the night before everyone scrambling. Take anything yeah. away once we got there. Like, it is what it is. You know, let's just yeah, let's just go suck it out and see what happens. <laughs> I did. I forgot. Like, uh, I kept meaning to grab a space blanket because you know it was part of like take a puffy and a space blanket, and I forgot to pack one and. You know, I was like, the I was on the way out of town. I could have stopped and got one. I was like, you know what? F it. Like, we'll just see what happens. Like, yeah. um, ended up trying to snuggle with my brother-in-law. Uh, <laughs> after that, and I don't think it did anything. Yeah. The, the space blanket nap. Come, yeah. Thanks for the reminder on that. That Forget Mount Idaho. That was one of, that was the shittiest part of the hike for sure. I'm full go caffeinated like angry Dan <laughs> mad hiking up Breitenbach at one thirty in the morning. And Steve's like, I need a nap and just disappears. <laughs> and I'm, so- I'm soaked in sweat. I have to drop like 300 feet to come find you guys. And then, you know, hearts pounding. I'm sweating. We're mid climb and then wrap myself in a space blanket and try to go to sleep. I fell asleep and I, I woke up jackhammering so hard, soaking wet. I'm like, you know, the, wrapped in mylar. My puffy's damp. I have no shoes, no shoes or socks on. So I was trying to let my feet air out. Just a complete nightmare. I, I woke up to my inner mo- voice, like inner monologue in my head being like, you're dying. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like shaking so hard. I was about to roll off the mountain. I was like, I got up and wrapped myself up so tight in that and started doing air squats. Yeah. Like I, I was, and, Jory was a mess. I, I crawled my way over to you guys. Are you away? Luckily, I heard somebody cough. We were all yeah. coughing for some reason. Every one of us had the black lung up there. So I heard you guys coughing and I knew you were awake. I was like, oh, thank God. I don't have to sit here anymore. But I came over and. I remember Jordy was in rough shape too. He's like, this blanket doesn't work. And he's teeth are <laughs> chattering and he's shaking. And I'm like, you got to wrap yourself up in it real tight. You know, he just had it like draped over himself. So that was funny. We're both sitting there wrapped up like a couple of uh, microwave burritos. <laughs> yeah, I was, we, uh, you know, my, we had hit the past Idaho and my knee, my IT band knee stuff started flaring up. And as we were climbing up to 
the Breitenbach might, uh, we lost the trail and like every step that was like extra, you know, I'm just like, you know, internally just screaming, fuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just, we were just trail either. It was mush and marsh oh, and creek. And that was, was a I mean, just, yeah. Hiking through the dark and technical rough terrain with no trail, wandering, zigzagging. And then we finally got, we got to the, you know, we're climbing up that and we got to like this bench and I'm like looking at the map and it's, uh, I didn't even realize what time it was, but I knew the night before I'd only gotten two hours of sleep. And I was like, if I don't get something right now, like at some point I'm going to crash hard. And then I looked at the map and it's like, we had, you know, it looked like we had another two plus hours by the time we got up and over down the other side to where we could maybe find a place to, to lay down for a little bit. So it's like, this, this looks as good as any place. And uh, all the guys except you were like, "Yeah, okay, I, I can see that." Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, we we laid down, and I, I mean, yeah, I think I fell asleep instantaneously. Like, put my head on the ground, out, and then thirty minutes later, woke up uh, as cold as I've ever been from uh, just full on body convulsions. Um, it was pretty pretty freaking miserable. <laughs> I, I I learned I don't ever want to do that if it's. I'm not going to, if I'm in a situation up there in the mountains where I'm cold and wet and I feel, and I'm tired, I think the worst thing you could do is stop and go, I'm going to yep. get some sleep. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we did that, down, then you're wet, then you're even yeah. colder. Like we should have built a yeah. fire and just sat there for an hour. Yeah. Like, yeah. We did that. And it was as miserable and painful as I was at that time. Uh, there's no way we're stopping again. Not, not until it's. You know, if it's 10 a.m. the next day and the sun's out, am I going to lay down? Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it's certainly a good yeah. lesson learned. Like, you know, that's that's a lot of, you know, talking about the hike with a lot of guys over the course of it. And it's like every year there's some new challenge thrown at us, right? And this was like, how far can you go without sleep? And maybe taking little cat naps. And I certainly learned that, uh, A, it's amazing what your body can do without even without sleep. And B, don't take a freaking nap and when it's 35 degrees and you're got nothing but a space blanket. Yeah. I feel like it was probably a lot colder than we realized it was when we stopped too. Yeah. Yeah. Got, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. deceiving when your body's heat. Yeah. Well, now we know the full capabilities of those little Mylar blankets. I feel like <laughs> I've got a good handle on what that can do and not do now. <laughs> Basically, don't even bother packing it. <laughs> Why don't, uh, I don't think you can summarize in a few words to conclude like what this means to you, Dan. So I'm, I'm afraid to, to ask that because I know it's, it's a lot and a lot of it's personal and a lot of it's hard to express, but I just want to say, well done. I've, uh, I've seen you endure a lot of death hikes and obviously wasn't there for this one, but hearing about it, knowing the route, knowing what other guys are capable of that, that didn't finish, uh, the fact that you stuck this one out man. well done appreciate it wish you were there and uh thanks again for letting me plan it steve really was a an honor hike means a lot to me so that was cool absolutely well jory i'm curious to start here did steve have to like persuade you quite hard to to get you to join as a first timer is this something you've heard about from steve for a few years and had some interest in I had been telling Steve I wanted to do it for forever. So it was kind of the. <laughs> I disagree with this. 
I was like, man. No, it was pretty. I don't think there was much of a conversation. He was like, uh, you want to do the death hike? And I was like, yep. And then uh, then we then I was doing it. Yeah. yeah. When what it was. Uh, you were out here for spring break, right? Back in April. Yeah. And then you just kind of yeah. offhandedly. I think we were pr- just sitting down having a glass of whiskey and you were like, hey, uh, I'm doing this death hike. You want to do it? And then it wasn't much of a conversation from what I remember. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't at all. You're like, yep, yeah, I'm in. Um, but I do remember being nervous about it from April till last weekend. Had <laughs> <laughs> you, I guess, heard uh, stories from Steve or the podcast? Like, how familiar were you with some of the previous death hikes to kind of not know what to expect because they're all different? But uh, yeah, well, I guess what was your like impression of it? Uh, my impression was that it was just going to be something that was going to be really hard and um you're gonna do it with a lot of dudes who are really fit and really tough and that if you weren't either of those things and you didn't have a good chance of getting it done i i'd listened to like the 100 miler podcast and the the alaska trip podcast and um you know everything was just so different i didn't really know what to expect and um this one was i think especially different and i didn't really know what i was getting into honestly i didn't get uh, the Onyx route until a few days before. So, um, yeah, I kind of went in a little bit blind, but turned out to be a good experience. Yeah, I, I knew. Um, yeah, so Jory's my brother-in-law. Our sisters are married. Jory, God, I don't know how long we've known each other. 15 years, maybe? Goes back I a ways. So, yeah. so Jack and I were, we've been married for 10 years this year. You've been married for 11 or 12? 11. Yeah. yeah. And so we're going back at least four or five years prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jory and I've been mountain biking together all those years, whenever we, you know, whenever we get together and visit. And I knew he certainly had the endurance and capability and overall fitness to, to just crush it. And then just though, I think the only thing you were lacking was just, you know, a lot of miles hiking experience with a, with a backpack on, um, yeah. in these kind of, in this kind of conditions. So what'd you do training wise? Um, I know you did a lot of biking and running. Yeah, that's, I, uh, I generally do like a lot of CrossFit and lifting and biking and running and stuff like that. And, um, I was gaining weight from, from lifting weights and I didn't think that that would be much of an advantage. So for like the last month I stopped lifting I did a bunch of core exercises and then I biked like mad. Like I did 150 miles one week and, uh, that was like a mix of Peloton and gravel and mountain biking. And then I would do, um, like one or two longer runs, like somewhere between eight and 12 miles just to try and get my quads and hamstrings used to getting beat up by the road. But, uh, I found out that you also need to, condition your feet a little bit better than what I did. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. With, with just primarily like all the off trail work and everything, you really felt that. Yeah. I think especially cause there was so much, we were so we in so much scree the entire time. And it seemed like every time we were side hilling in the scree is where your right foot was down. And so there was just so much shearing on the ball of my, on the ball of my right foot. I just, developed big blisters and on my heel and on my, on my, the ball of my toes. And I think if I had a more experience, um, uh, 
my they're getting my feet more conditioned to that i would have been better off um but you live and you learn and the other part that i learned is that i probably could have done a better job of managing my feet during the hike and uh i was just a little late and i think just having that that experience will help me for if i do with the next, any of the other ones if i get if i get the invite i think having that experience of being able to t- know when your feet are starting to get beat up how to take care of them doubling up on socks and stuff like that i think that will be that would be that was something i took away of how i can keep myself going farther yeah yeah this was uh man it's a tough one to train for right like because it's just hard to get in that country even if you're in the mountains how rugged this sounded and all the scree and obviously the technicality of it it's a lot of guys just don't have access to really get into that stuff so it's hard to be fully prepared for it, but that's always the case with the knee death hike, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think the technicality is what really took people by surprise. I, it seemed like right at the beginning, everyone looked up at the top of Mount Bora and was like, whoa, what did we get ourselves into? Mm-hmm. You were probably one of the more comfortable guys up there. Just um, like you've, you've done rock climbing in the past and kind of backcountry skiing and stuff like that. What uh, did you ever feel, you know, how, how did you feel going through the more technical sections? I felt pretty good. You know, I, I had done some rock climbing. I've done some bigger mountains in Colorado and done some of the bigger mountains in Wyoming. And, um, it seemed kind of on par with that. The, the thing with Mount Bora and especially Mount Idaho was that it was just sustained technical route routes for a long, long time. And, um, I felt comfortable on the rock. I never felt like I was in a scary position, but there was parts where it was like, you know, it's just time to focus and to yeah. keep your mind task at hand. And if you are careful and, and methodical and thoughtful, then it won't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We just, uh, we recorded the segment with Dan right before this. And he said, like, he basically said like, just all the technical spots we got to, you just approached them little chunks at a time. Like, okay, I can see the next 10 yards, what I've got in front of me, do it right get get past that do you know that that especially that section where we came down from mount idaho you know that was just completely little bite-sized chunks of like i have i can see where i can go for this next few steps and then after that i have no clue what's around the next corner right it was a hundred it was a a million little puzzles you know and if you mind wander and didn't get your didn't let your anxiety get the best of you i felt like everything was pretty manageable there was only one part on Mount Idaho and it was when you and Dan had gone down and around and we were trying to find a way down into that cool, like scree field that we basically surfed down. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were, I was with Will and we were trying to, um, go down this cooler and just getting into it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a sheer face and it was small handholds and it was cruddy rock that was just sloughing off like crazy. And, that was the one part where I was like, this is a little nerve wracking. If I fall here, if this is going to hurt pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but once we got down into the cooler, we got basically you wedged one foot in the rock and had your other foot on top of the snow and you could keep yourself in control. And that was honestly, uh, that was fun, but it was a little scary getting into there. And then that was one of the craziest parts about the whole hike for me is like you and Dan had gone all the way around. Will and I had gone down this cooler and we got to the saddle that we were trying to get to, to try to get off of Idaho. 
And I was like, man, Steve and Dan, this is going to take them forever to go up and around. And so Will and I were, you know, taking rocks out of our shoes or whatever, drinking some water and stuff. And then you and Dan appeared like five minutes later, like a hundred yards down the hill from us. And I was like, how did they do that? <laughs> uh, yeah. It was one of those looking at it, it just looked further and more technical than it was. And once we got over there, it was like, just kind of a ah, piece of cake. So that's hilarious. What, yeah. I was, um, good. Oh, nothing. Go ahead. Um, what, uh, How'd the lack of sleep play a, a role for you? How'd you do with that? Did you learn anything? Um, you know, with my training, I had had a lot of sleep deprivation. And um, honestly, that gave me a lot of anxiety the night before just because we were in those baby sacks and those mosquitoes were just so treacherous. So, like, I don't think, I don't know if you talked about it yet with Dan or anybody, but I know for a fact that we only got like two hours of sleep. Yeah. Uh, and that, that gave me a, I was really worried about that before we started, but I think my, my adrenaline was so high and, and, and the technicality of the climb didn't give you any chance to be tired. So for the first, I don't know, like 20 hours, I felt really good. Mm -hmm. And, and then the, the three in the morning hit and it was ice cold. We're in another scree field. We're side hilling. We can't find another trail. And then the fatigue started to set in. And I, I think like my morale got low. That was difficult. Um, we laid down to take a nap, which didn't turn out to be much of it. I think both of us fell asleep within like two minutes. And then 10 minutes after that, we were both shivering and cuddling each other, trying to stay. Like, <laughs> yeah. luckily you were kind enough to share your space, space blanket with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Like I fell asleep and I woke up with Steve basically on me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll just uh, try to get in nice and tight and share some body heat. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it was pretty cold. I was shivering pretty bad. I, he's like, I'm like a jackhammer. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no. And then, then like once we woke up, that, that was the, one of the biggest challenges. I thought I was so tired. I was kind of morally defeated because we couldn't find a trail. We did like a half a mile in an hour and maybe even more. And that, that was a real challenge, but we, we made it through it. And that was cool to be able to be in, to be that far down, but to be able to dig yourself out is I think was an accomplishment mm -hmm. in itself. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I was, that was certainly the lowest point for me. Like prior, like, Basically, I was pretty down when I said like I well we need to lay down because I I just didn't want to take another freaking step with my knee. And then our whopping ten to thirty minute nap. I have no idea exactly how long I was asleep, but it wasn't long. Waking up, getting going, and then immediately you know, we had like what maybe thousand feet up to the saddle, and then three three four thousand feet down the other side. And it's pitch black. The trail's basically non-existent. You you're just kind of we just start working down the scree field and you have no idea if there's a cliff below you. Um, it didn't look too scary. And like when you kind of look at the aerial image on the map, but you just, you just don't know what you're getting into. And that was, was so damn frustrating. Just picking our way down that thing. And, and then you get down there and then we got in that, we got in like this 400 yard, just swampy section where it's, you know, 
we're already soaking wet and then now our feet are completely soaking wet and it's probably you know 35 degrees uh, that was certainly one of the lower points for me of the whole of the whole hike yeah and then we came across that creek crossing and you were just like you know there's the water was so cold and your feet were so beat up and it was like steve just looks at me he's like i'm keeping my socks on and just <laughs> charge through it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, uh yeah yeah it was an adventure that's for sure mm-hmm. sure this is uh, backing up but you mentioned sleep deprivation in your training i'm just curious like practically how how intentional was that like hey i want to do some sleep deprivation training or is it just the practicality of life and schedule and if i want to get in longer training sessions i have to you know be up super late or get up super early or what have you oh yeah so my by my training i meant so i did a residency in orthopedic surgery and so i was talking about the training as from uh, that yeah so gotcha. you know 24 hour shifts and we did a lot of overnight call and that's like training and it's kind of the same in the fact that like you're tired you're sleep deprived but you you require hyper focus so you don't really feel the fatigue as much mm-hmm. um but eventually it catches up with you and that's what i was referring to okay you've done um you know a lot of different physical events where do you rank this and difficulty for you of things you've done uh it's up there um I mean, this is the hardest thing I've done in in a long, long time. I I didn't. You kind of caught me off guard with that question. It's so hard because, yeah, I think I would say that this is. Uh, it's got to be the hardest physical challenge I've done. I think because I don't remember failing <laughs> that bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, it was, it's weird because it's different. You know, I, I, we failed, we made it 35 miles. I think it was 14,000 feet of elevation gain. We went for 29 hours straight. Um, and we failed, but when we failed, I felt from, uh, from an endurance standpoint, like I could have kept on going, Mm -hmm. Uh, but from, a mental fatigue from a physical fatigue from a muscle soreness i was getting pretty beat up so i don't know it's it, it, this is just different in a way that i had never experienced so it's i'd say yeah. it's probably the hardest thing i've done you know but i've been i've done workouts where i thought i was gonna die from from like pushing myself so hard and it's just this is just a different type of of yeah. challenge yeah. i it's i had experienced it very very um mental yeah mm-hmm. right especially like you just had no there was no there was no no chance for you to sit down or there was no chance for you to just kind of relax you know um mm-hmm. we were on point for the entire time and you you know like you said that we were walking through we were side hilling through that scree field and the like three four in the morning whatever it was and yeah you really don't know what's below you and like it's just every situation was like that it was like if i don't pay attention here i could roll down this hill i have no idea what's down there i don't know if it's boulders i don't know if it's a river i don't know i don't have no idea and so it was just there was just no time to be relaxed and yeah it's just a completely different 
uh, experience. Mm-hmm. I think this is what makes it hard, Jory, to like talk about it now is because your current present reality and state of mind is such a different thing than where you were then. And it's like hard to associate the two. Um, you know, when you're that tired and physically exhausted and mentally exhausted, like, I don't know. It's just, I've been there in those moments where it's like, I don't, you don't think the same way. You don't perceive things the same way. It just feels like a totally different reality than day-to-day life, really. (laughs) It's hard to correlate the two sometimes. Yeah, it's hard to, yeah. And it is completely different. Your your day-to-day life is different. It's hard to, you don't get into that mindset. You don't get into that exhaustion very often and it's easy to reflect on it and forget about the terrible parts i think yeah yeah Yeah, i had the thought like reflecting back on it after the hike of so i immediately you know by sunday night joy i was like i want to go back like i'm i was still sore my knee was killing me um but then you know monday morning i woke up but sunday night i was like i just want to go back out there and i think it was like we're so distracted in our daily lives right there's a million things going on going on around us and out there it's like such a singular focus um just literally once like i gotta do my next the next step the next step the next step and i'm not thinking about like just it's um i don't know how to exactly put it into words but it was just there's just it's like so rare in life where it's just you know what you have to do and it's right in front of you and you just do it yeah one thing one thing you said after we were done we'd got we we finally got back to camp and everybody was taking care of us. And you said like, man, I want to do all three of those mountains in one day. I want, I want to go back. And I was just like, yeah, would you shut up, Steve? <laughs> 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 like, can't you sit down? Jory, <laughs> <laughs> I've thought that many times. <laughs> I'm like, what is wrong with this guy? No, but I did get, the, I was like, man, it would have been cool to get to the top of Leatherman. It would have been yeah. cool. I want to do yeah. that. That's, that's happening um, sooner than later. That, that, that looked like a beautiful mountain. I would be interested to know how it, how it compares technically. It's supposed to be not that technical, but I think it's a pretty intimidating looking mountain from the base of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. With that. We were what well, we got down off of Idaho, and I want to say it was like five p.m. It had taken us so long to get through the first two peaks, and we're looking up at it. And like I don't, there's I don't see any scenario where we summit that and are coming down with daylight left. And if, if it was anything like the other ones, you'd certainly don't want to be doing it in the dark with a headlamp. And um, we no one really fought the decisions like that. Ah, we're like just don't see how this is possible, so we just got to keep going down the trail. Yeah. I think that that was the right call. We would have either been sleeping on the mountain or stuck up there and you don't know what weather is going to come through. And I think it was a good call. Yeah. Frustrating make, but probably the right one. Yeah. Any other takeaways? Uh, yeah. I mean, the group of guys that we did it with were incredible, you know, mm. what a special group. It's like, it's hard to get that many tough dudes together in one spot and have everybody commit to doing that. Um, And then, you know, just the way that they took care of us when we got back is like, 
I like just like a special thanks to everybody, Dione for picking us up. Dione for <laughs> this is kind of a funny story. So we get back to camp, and I get I must have looked pretty bad. I'm or worse than I thought I was. And Dione was like, "Come over here and sit down. Take my seat." He's like, "Brian, get over here." we're going to start IV on Jory and didn't like ask me, just kind of told me that he's going to do it. And, uh, I was like, where did you get, where did you get IV stuff? And he's like, Oh, I know somebody who works in the ER. And then I was like, yeah, but what do you do? And he's like, Oh, I work for the electrical company. And, like, <laughs> and you're, you're going to start an IV on me. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they they started an IV on me, and then Brian or Brian started an IV on me. Dione's like, "Here, you need a beer," or maybe it was you, Steve, gave me a beer, gave me a yeah. an IV, and then I was sitting down, and Dione went and got a really heavy wool blanket because I was shivering. Brian gave me his his uh, puffy jacket. Nick gave me a seat, and then uh, Anthony came over and is like, "Here, you need some whiskey too." So there I am, like bundled up, shivering, getting an IV, drinking a beer, taking a pull of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a death hike type situation for sure. Within, this is probably within like five minutes of showing up into camp. And I was like, man, I've never been like this catered to in my entire life. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly photo worthy. Snapped a quick pick and that's uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, it was funny. And yeah. then it wasn't even over. Then, then AJ was like, you look tired. You, I got a, I got a temperpudic uh mattress in the bed of my truck and he went and moved his truck to a flat spot i finished the iv and just went to the back of his truck and passed out hard <laughs> it was fun uh, yeah. great way to cap it <laughs> yeah it was uh it was good to it was good to be back home that was for sure i was pretty sore <laughs> how yeah. are you still no man i like sunday morning i woke up just i mean couldn't fucking move get out of bed you know, I literally had to like lift my legs out of the bed, walking down the stairs with my, with my knee was like holding onto the railing with both hands and one step at a time. And then, uh, I just went and I iced on and off for like three hours that morning. And by like two o'clock in the afternoon, I went and mowed the yard, um, and like was feeling better. And then yesterday morning I woke up and I'd say it was like 80, 90% today. I'm 95%. I recovered quick. Yeah. I, that's, that's the thing been so surprised about so walking through the airport on sunday my feet were so swollen i couldn't get them into my sandals and <laughs> and then my quads were sore my hamstrings are sore my calves were sore and i just kind of hobbled through the airport and mm -hmm. got, and then or got to the truck and then we had a six hour drive from the airport uh to to home because that's how life is in wyoming there's no good airport and uh, Jessica drove me home and I just had my feet on the dashboard and just let them uh, be elevated and try and get rid of all the swelling. And then Monday, my feet were normal size and my quads didn't hurt hardly at all. And then yesterday, I actually went back to the gym. So I feel pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, you got a roadmap for how to train for the next one. I know. I think Although, it, honestly, it worked. Got to get some weight on my back and get some miles on side hilling, toughen my feet yeah. up, and um, it'll be fun. Thanks for the invite, man. Uh, yeah, oh, thanks for coming. You're, I said, you're stuck now. 
Yep, it's part of the crew. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today, Jory, carving out the time. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys, and uh, Godspeed. And um, yeah, Steve, thanks for the invites. Like, uh, I was t- well, on the hike, you know, you have all these moments, and I was just telling Steve, it's pretty, I'm, I'm a pretty lucky dude to have Steve as a brother in law. I don't think there's too many other guys that have it as good as I do. Oh, well, ditto, man. Well, Justin, let's let's start here for listeners to have some context. What's your history with doing the death hikes? Uh, uh, let's see. I started in 2020, I think, was the first time I got invited for the 100-mile three-day weekend and uh, finished that one. And then I've been doing them, see, every year since. Yeah, you haven't missed one. Yeah. Yeah, we did uh, the Frank Church fly-in, and then Alaska, and then this one this year. So, yeah. Uh, why do you keep doing them? I, I don't know. I think I'm addicted to uh, the whole thing. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I love pushing pushing myself to my limits, and and then at the finish line, it's just like there's 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 not much better feeling. And yeah. I don't know. I don't, it's hard to uh, organize something like that by myself. So, uh, yeah, look forward to them every year. And, and yeah, you're, you're, well, I think you're one of the guys. Like, I mean, a, a lot of guys are in, but like, just you've been doing them since 2020, and we send out the the deals on it, and you're like, "Yep, I'm in." And it's just, there's like, there's no hesitation. You respond to the email right away. Um, it's just like you're you're fully invested in, in it and obviously they they mean something to you they provide some benefit um and uh yeah, yeah i, I sure. fully understand how you know there's just the hikes are complicated <laughs> like there's a lot of there's so many like awesome takeaways whether it's pushing yourself the training for it, the camaraderie um so yeah i was just curious what you know what's the uh the main reason you just keep doing it yeah, I don't I think uh I like I said, I think the, the I think the just the sense of accomplishment once I'm done and mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, there's a lot of build up for it over cuz we usually have a couple month notice, you know, for the most part on route and what the plan and then I kind of just I don't know, I get wrapped up in the whole thing and I I get really uh, just into it. The training part of it, I like a lot just because I I try to push myself as hard as I can during training, but I know that the death hike is going to be usually five to ten times harder than what I'm actually training at. So it's just, there's always, you know, there's always something thrown in the mix too, you know, when you're up there in, in the middle of it. And then there, it's just, it's always an adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You said earlier the the finish line and that just like immediately put a mental picture in my head of like most events or races or what have you. There's like a finish line and there's a crowd and there's some cheering and there's some more in the moment, like call it public or group recognition of, hey, this person did this thing and here we are to celebrate this person. But at the death hike, right. it's very much very low-key it's like you and a small group of guys who were there and there's no fanfare there's no crowd there's no 
metal. There's no nothing. And you're pushing through all of that really for your own personal finish line, um, which, you know, you described well, but that contrast between like what are most races or events and something like the death hike and what it's like to finish is they're very, very different. You're doing that. I don't want to say four different reasons because people could do a more public event for a similar reason, but it's definitely a, it's just a different experience for sure. Yeah. I think it's something that, uh, for one, you have to really, really want to do because it's easy to bail, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to just keep going and keep your head into it. And yeah, I don't know. I think that the, the mental, uh, the mental toughness and the mental game for me is, is I think what I get the most satisfaction out of is because I, I, I went into this thinking like, Ooh, you know, three 12,000 foot peaks, which we ended up doing too, which is fine. It was still, you know, I don't think we could have done that last one in the dark. Someone would have definitely died. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just pushing through like mental barriers and things like that and being able to just kind of focus on the task at hand. And then once you're through like hard spots and things like that man it just i don't know it it feels good and i'm i have an addictive personality and uh i get addicted to that feeling and there's nothing else like it yeah there's sort of like what as you said that there's kind of like a, a runner's high right like there's certainly like a you get that kind of high out there of just god it feels good yeah that's, right yeah we just recorded then, with like, uh <clears throat> Oh, I was going to say oh, just like, and then like the finish line part of it, you know, it's like, it almost feels more, <clears throat> more genuine because it's the same guys that had, you know, a, a, either attempted or finished with you, mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're coming through to the finish line as a death hike versus, I don't know, something public, like I've done a half marathon before and it was like, yeah, it's cool. People cheering and stuff, but then like, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't mean nearly as much as like, you know, having you walk right up and give me a hug and say congrats and, you know, well done yeah. or whatever. And and I think those, you know, having that camaraderie and, and just like that fellowship with my bros on the mountain, you know, it's it's uh, you go through hard shit with other people and it creates a special bond. And, and I think, uh, you know, through the mm -hmm. death hike, it's definitely uh, it's definitely there. Oh yeah. So Justin, we didn't explicitly say, but it was just you and Dan that finished uh, this year. Uh, we did speak with Dan a little bit earlier, so listeners have have heard a little bit about his experience. But speaking of the mental toughness, speaking of the highs and the lows, like at what point was it hardest for you to to push through, or was there never never any doubt, and you were just resolved? to complete this yeah i think it was option b i don't think i uh i mean well i think early the early morning when we were all sitting there and i think uh steve and will and jory all caught caught up to me and dan sitting eating breakfast and there was a second that kind of like flashed through my mind when i was like should i go with them 
like I do have a hunt coming up in like two weeks. Uh, so like maybe I should. And then I was like, no, fuck it. I'm, I'm going, I'm finishing. I'm not. And that was it. I was just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm finishing. But other than that, what? yeah, the whole, the whole time I, I don't, I don't think I, yeah, you're I just, just strong. I just thought I was gonna be there. The I if I was gonna be there, the last one, like I was on the first death hike, you know, just getting through as much pain as I could, walking backwards if I had to. I was gonna finish. Yeah, I do. I love how you tied that together because it's hard for. I think it's hard for people to push their limits until they've pushed their limits, right? And like you just hinted at. It was tough for you to finish that first death hike. But once you do something like that and stick through it and do whatever it takes, that's just like it's at that just point, mental fortitude you, at that point. I yeah, like, yeah, because once you've done that once, then when it comes time to embrace that again, you're like, Well, I I know I can do this because I've done it before. So if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm bowing out, like this is on me at this point, not on my limitations really yeah and i and i thought you know i was at that point that when i when everyone split up from there and it was just me and dan and i had that that thought ran through my head and then i was like i thought to myself you know i'm in not even a quarter of the amount of pain i was at that point in that the end of that death hike and i finished it out and that sucked and that hurt a lot and uh so I was like, you know what? It, yeah, I'm I'm going. I feel good. I feel, you know, like I did pretty well on my nutrition and stuff and just eating not shit. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I had no reason to quit, I guess. Felt pretty good. Awesome. What was the, um, where, <laughs> well, one thing I'll say this was, so there was, it was me, Jory, Dan, and Will that kind of went up Idaho and then Justin was just just right behind us, probably you know, fifteen minutes. Um, and uh, we went up Idaho, you know, and it was like the four of us working as a team to find the route through that thing. And then getting off Idaho, as we were talking about earlier, was like ten times worse than that. Like we just fully like, all right, you go that way, I'm gonna go that way. We'll look for the best route. Justin's up there doing this by himself, and we were all freaking blown away. Like we we got off Idaho, got back to the other side. And, there was a lake back there. We stopped, got our shoes off, soaking our feet. And here comes Justin just down the freaking down the trail by himself. And he's like, holy crap. Like it was, it's certainly, uh, I would say the most impressive thing of the entire hike to me, Justin was the fact that you were up there alone doing that. Cause that you had to have had some butt pucker moments getting through that stuff. Oh, did I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a couple times where, uh, in fact, one particular moment, I remember misstepping and then trying to catch myself, but then tripping on the, on the very end of my trekking pole. And then I started sliding and I wasn't sure I was going to stop, but I only went about 15 yards down this little scree section. And then I hit like a, some solid or whatever, big solid rock and was able to regain my shit. But yeah, there was, uh. <laughs> there's a lot of those sections too where you just it looks like a good route and then all of a sudden it just stops and it drops i don't know 
1500 feet and you look over and you're like well we're who made this the sheep that made this trail they just jump from here like what the hell <laughs> just, yeah some of that was just like you just walk and you all of a sudden you're cliffed out and you're like wow good thing i didn't take a step because <laughs> <nuts. laughs> uh, yeah did you um what was your lowest point during the hike or just kind of where you really felt like you had to maybe dig in <laughs> going down from idaho i think yeah until I, until i got to that scree field where it was fun to slide down mm -hmm. um yeah because it was it was starting to get hot too and i was you know i was sweating and i was just working hard and trying to trying to well once it was after i realized i sat up on the mountain for a while and i realized that the other three guys behind me i watched them take the bailout trail and i was like well shit now <laughs> I guess I'm alone and I got to catch up to the other guys. So that was when it was like, okay, yeah. we gotta, you got to buckle down, bro. And just like get through this as fast as you can and catch up. And that was, yeah. that was, uh, yeah, that was probably the hardest, like mental, mental part of the whole mm. deal. Yeah. I, I could imagine, man. Yeah. Cause we saw you, we saw you up there and we kept thinking like, I right, like, never did the, see other guys climbing up. I'm like well maybe hopefully we missed him like somebody's coming we don't want justin back there by himself that's gonna suck and um <laughs> obviously, obviously they bailed and we we kind of stuck around like hoping he'd show up and and you did and like um you know certainly glad to see you off that safe yeah i remember was, just uh, coming around that corner and seeing dan's orange baseball cap from up on that hill and i was like yes i'm almost there <laughs> <laughs> That was as technical as that was. We, you know, through inreach messages, we finally, at some point after that, got word like everybody was off the mountain. You know, now it was either they were either done with the hike or down on trail. And it was certainly a big relief because it's, you know, it was, uh, I would say, some of the most, most exposure we've ever had on a hike um, ever as far yeah. as potential for, for injury. I, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Except for that. The damn log in Alaska last year. That's that's still the most dangerous <laughs> thing we've ever done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's probably true. Could have had consequences. That that had like so you know, you could so a lot of this stuff on Idaho Bora, you slipped, you fall down fifty feet, maybe break your leg. Uh, I mean, certainly there's spots where you know the consequence would be much worse. But that log, I think if you slipped, I think you were dead. Like I don't I don't think there was any chance we were gonna fish somebody out of that river. Mm -mm. No, that thing was raging. Yeah. What's uh you mentioned earlier, Justin, um, nutrition, stuff like that. So whether it is nutrition or gear, I guess anything like kind of the practical stuff, maybe you did different or that just worked really well for you this year, maybe something still you found out that like, yeah, next time I would change this. What are some of those practical things? Uh, nothing but meat and cheese. <laughs> meat and cheese. <laughs> he, 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 we were up on top of Boren. He sits down and pulls out like a freaking 12 inch chunk of salami. You know, it's like two and a half inches in diameter. It's like, holy hell, dude. Uh, wow. And you, you freaking nibbled on that thing the whole time. Yeah, I finished it on the last uh, two mile hike in. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, uh, over, you know, throughout these death hikes, I've, especially the first one, I experimented a lot. And I remember doing like the salt pills and then 
someone giving me a handful of gummy bears and then just feeling like shit. And over the years, I've, I've learned that I just, if I have to go through something strenuous like this, like I run best on, and I, I feel the best if I just, you know, high fat, high protein and hmm. stay away from, you know, the simple sugars for whatever <laughs> reason. I just feel like I, I run more evenly i don't ha i don't have like the crashes and the highs i just kind of it's a steady even kind of energy it feels like at least for me yeah. um but yeah i just i mean i ate a lot of beef jerky i ate that i don't know 18 inch long salami or whatever it was and uh some peanut butter bars things that i made at home and then he had a couple different types of cheeses and stuff that i had with me and that was my primary diet. So, I mean, for, for, for sweet things for me, like I just had a, a few like granola bars or like a cliff bar, you know, for me, that was enough sugar or whatever, you know? And then mm -hmm. other than that, I just put, I, I like those, um, noon electrolyte tablets, get them at mm -hmm. REI. And I just usually keep my Nalgene filled with electrolytes and, yeah that's what works Seems for me work. yeah nice i don't know if i've tried the you know high fat version of it i would the earlier death hikes it was all protein bars and really dense heavy stuff and then uh and then kind of abandon that and I, I just have yeah it's nothing but junk food but i'd be curious um curious how i could perform on on something just fats and cheeses yeah yeah i don't know it, i mean it probably doesn't help that i'm the smallest guy in the group and <laughs> yeah but yeah still that's what works yeah what takeaway i mean you already talked earlier about the value of completing and and why you keep doing it but for this year specifically what takeaways do you have like where, where's your head been what are some of your thoughts been you know in the five days since you completed this I don't know to be honest i don't know i feel i feel pretty good i'm i'm kind of surprised at how but just how well i feel right now and like even the last couple of days i'm really not that sore i was on like sunday for the most part but um i don't know i've recovered really quickly so it makes me kind of think that i could have done more Mm-hmm. yeah i'm I was pretty pissed off despite like by Sunday afternoon, you know, I thought I was going to be limping for a week and my knee started already feeling better out of a, after a lot of ice. And I just got pissed off at myself. I was like, I should have just freaking pushed through. Um, right. and as fast as it healed. Cause I've, when I put like on the, the second hundred mile or that first one you did, um, my knee got jacked up. I was walking down hills backwards and bowed out the last like nine minute nine miles. And it took me, like that never, that knee pain never even went away. Cause we did that in July and I was still like kind of still dealing with it in September, October hunting where it'd kind of flare right. back up. And that's where I was just like, you know, it's just not, it's not freaking worth it to finish these last 18 miles. I don't want to be, you know, down for the count for a while. And I bowed out, but as fast as I recovered, now I'm looking back, you know, hindsight, I'm just pissed. Um, I'm, yeah. yeah. But what can you do? Yeah. Pretty um, much. That's the feeling you know, I have a hard time living with. That's why I don't want to quit. 
right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's pissing me off right now. How about the <laughs> lack of sleep? Did that um, did that um, uh, affect you much? You just yeah. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, honestly. That was like mm-hmm. one of the things that made me the most nervous was like not being able to sleep. And I know we got, you know, at least we tried to get a little bit at one point, but I don't think I got more than 15 minutes just sitting there freezing my balls off the whole time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. I still, I think I had enough caffeine and, things like that keep me alert and focused i felt pretty good the whole time to be honest yeah yeah i was surprised as well man like i mean and we even jory and i both did barely got any sleep thursday night going into it and it's like yeah same, i, I don't same i think here. i yeah i think i could have i mean we stopped for that nap and i'm the one that kind of initiated it but um if uh yeah if i wasn't in so much pain i think we could have just i could have just hiked i could have probably just finish the whole route because that surely that 15 20 minutes we got didn't really significantly uh you know give you an advantage to finish the route like you probably just could have done it without sleep at all yeah probably i think the only thing it did for me was i I woke up and my ankle felt better from just kind of getting a little bit of a rest but Mm. yeah other than that yeah you know and then i think one of the key things too is like we found me and dan found on the way downhill we found this little like three foot deep hole we both just like soaked our ankles and knees and legs in that for a while and man that just refreshes you enough to power out the last couple miles it was great Hmm. nice yeah that's uh amazing what that uh we did that on last year in alaska if you guys all remember like mid route soaked in that uh freaking spring coming out of the top of the mountain it was probably 35 yeah. degree water that uh-huh. was uh, That's awesome incredibly rejuvenating yeah yeah mid-mountain ice bath mm-hmm. yeah. cool well justin it's uh obviously wasn't there to witness it but haven't heard all the stories uh kudos man well done on finishing and pushing through it was uh as we've said, they're all different. This was a unique challenge, and it's cool that uh, you just have another one now here many, many years uh, in a row to complete, and uh, I'm sure you'll be back for next year, whatever that ends up looking like. Yeah, you bet. Just tell me the word. <laughs> <laughs> I've already got a couple ideas brewing, so it's going to be fun. Right on. Jeff, let's start here. What's your uh, what's your history with Death Hikes, man? Uh, this is definitely my first one. And going into it, well, actually, backstory, we were at a, a party after the sportsman show. And I asked Steve, I said, well, where's the Death Hike this year? And he goes, well, I'm only going to tell you if you say you're going to go. And I was like, all right, I'll go. And then he's like, uh, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> well played steve well played uh, <laughs> so that's how i got into this one and uh obviously man of my word and even though i questioned my sanity leading up to it uh, i did at least show up so. yeah. what made you remotely interested this year after you know watching us knuckleheads do it for many years uh, that's a great question not sure. Uh, I know like when we were in Kodiak, I was talking to uh, Jason Wright about it. And I'm like, do you do that anymore? And he's like, 
hell no. And um, I'm like, well, that's probably a smart move. And so, and then here I am, you know, two years later doing the same thing that I told him not to do. So not sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't know what it's like till you show up though. Right. I mean, you get, you gotta do it. And I think it's always good to obviously push yourself. And so uh, maybe getting a little bit stagnant lately. And that was one of the reasons that I agreed to do it. Hmm. What did training look like for you? Because, you know, a lot of guys, it's like every death hike is different, but they also have previous experiences to go off of. They've learned lessons on what worked well, didn't work well from a training perspective. But when it's your first time, you don't know fully what to expect. You've never been in this country. Like, how did you begin to try to physically prepare? So I did a lot of the same things that I usually do just for hunting season, right? Of running, uh, hiking with weight. I did call Steve and ask him what he did. And he's like, dude, you just need to, you know, do some five, seven mile hikes with weight and you'll be fine. And I just thought, well, okay, I'm doing five or seven miles, right? Not 47, which the route was, how am I going to be able to sustain that? And leading up to it, I honestly was so busy the month before that I did not have enough time to train that I, like I would have liked to, I did get out on one larger hike with my brother where we did the Lewitt trail, which is a trail around the base of Mount St. Helens, uh, which was like 33 miles. And so that was a good, I think barometer to know that, okay, I'm capable of hiking longer distances because I had never hiked that far ever. Um, But honestly, leading up to it, I didn't do as much training as I would have liked. And that also made me very nervous leading into it because I thought I was going to get destroyed. Yeah, I had a hunch just having, you know, hunted Kodiak with you and just knowing what you, you know, hearing your hunting stories and, you know, you're just tall, skinny guy. Like I, I, I thought you were just going to crush it. Like, I, I knew as long as you just kept your baseline up, you were going to be just fine. And I felt like I did and, good, right? Like I was surprised. Yeah. I mean, as we'll get through here, I, I didn't obviously complete the whole thing, but even at the end, like I did roughly 40 miles, like I could have kept going, right? Which, which was surprising to me um, mm-hmm. based on how I came into it. And I was having some serious issues leading up to like the last week with my right leg and my hip flexor where my like right leg kept going numb on me. Uh, and like even the night before laying there in the tent, like I woke up and my, my right leg was completely numb. And then as we started hiking up Bora, uh, my right leg was tingling and I thought, Oh my gosh, like this is not going to end well for me. Um, but as I kept moving, it loosened up and I was fine. So. Give us the overview, especially for listeners. Uh, what did you do? Like, cause your death hike experience was unique in the sense that you started essentially didn't complete the route as planned, but you didn't just quit and go away. You like essentially adapted and did kind of your own route, your own order and still crushed some miles, as you said. So give us the big picture for how it started, the decisions you made and then how you had essentially adapted. Yeah. So we went to the top of Bora first. And I felt like I was doing pretty well, keeping up with the upper front of the pack and feeling pretty good, honestly, because that first climb is like a 5,000 foot climb and three and a half miles or whatever it is. And then we get to the top where you get to chicken out Ridge. And I just, this, this scenario never played out in my mind leading up to this hike. And 
we got up there and it's very steep. Uh, and I am deathly afraid of heights and basically had like a panic attack, um, that I knew that I could not go forward. And the other guys were kind of looking at me like, are you all right? I think. Um, and I was like, Hey, you guys can call me whatever you want, but I'm not, I'm not moving past this point. Like I just don't feel comfortable. And so actually went back down and then, uh, Dione came up and I, I don't know if any, if the listeners don't know him, right. He's like this burly dude and his, uh, thighs are bigger than my waist, I think. Um, and he has just to, to kind of paint the picture, right. He's got short shorts on that are an American flag. So it's quite the scene. <laughs> and he comes up there and similar does something similar to what I did. Right. Like kind of like freaks out. And then he's like, I'm not, I kill big bucks. I'm not doing this stuff. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I kill big deer. I, I, I'm not doing this. And uh, I'm like, Hey man, like I'm totally on the same page. Like we can sit down here and they can call us whatever they want, but I'm not moving past this point. And so we, we went down there and sat there and then pretty soon Jack Lander came up and then he came back down too. So the three of us were sitting there and I'm looking over at our next feet, which was Idaho, which is all off trail. And knowing that I cannot just complete that part of the hike, I realized that there is no way that I'm going to be able to do that next part because it just looks too technical. Um, and so Jack and I were sitting there talking and I think it was his idea to drop all the way back down and go around and we could find a route that came up on the other side of, of Idaho. And then that would still allow us to get most of our miles in. And so that's what we ended up doing was dropping down um, and then drove around and came up the other side. We still had like a 3000 foot climb on the other side to get to the pass to kind of get back in the route. Um, and then from there completed the rest of the hike. Yeah, I think it was, um, I knew you weren't going to, you know, when I, I, I didn't know you were afraid of heights and then got back down and ran into you and you're immediately like, well, we're going to go around. And I thought it was certainly awesome that it could have been so easy to throw in the towel. Like, Oh no, like F this, not for me, but to go around, like it's, it's hard to stop and then mentally restart and know that you're going to, you know, just jump right back on the trail. And I think you did, um, What'd you end up doing mileage wise? 40 something? Just over 40. Yeah. Just over 40. Yeah. It's, it's just impressive to, you know, yeah, keep going. Right. Yeah. It's and like, and uh, I, give, yeah. I give Jack a lot of credit on that because he was the one, because I was trying to figure out like, how do we go around Make this work? Right? Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's no alternate route from here. It's like through there right. or nothing. And, you know, he's like, well, if we get someone to drive us around and drop us off, we could come up right here. And so that's what we did. And it, it, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, it's tough when you, yeah, have to shift gears like that for sure. I mean, I think it's not the same, but like it makes me think of uh, the first hundred miler. Jake didn't do the second day, but like to come back and then he still did the third day. And it's like on one sense, you can say, hey, I already didn't quote unquote do this or I'm not doing the whole thing. I might as well just not do it. Right. Um, But yeah, for you guys to adapt, like find a plan and still be able to to get after it and get some miles is it sounds easy right now but in the moment it's a harder decision to make then so that's cool that you guys did that see and i think it's interesting that you guys say that because for me it it didn't seem that way um mm. like i just knew that i couldn't do it but i still wanted to hike and so mm. i didn't like have a thought uh, of quitting 
yeah, it wasn't the thought of quitting. I just knew that I physically or mentally couldn't do that. And so what can I do is how I thought about it versus mm-hmm. that I had failed essentially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to look what, at it. Obviously, how do you handle the heights when you're hunting? Um, I'm like, sure there's plenty height. of times. So yeah. here's the, like, like walking up the ridge to there, I was totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, when I have to step on one crack across a face that's, if I fall, I'm going to fall 2,000 feet. That I have a problem with. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think you want to go mountain goat hunting, Jeff, don't you? <laughs> well, I do, but um, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> second guessing my decisions uh, based on Steve's comments. He's like, well, if you want to do a sheep hunt, it's going to be like this. And I thought, hmm, do I really want to do a sheep hunt? Maybe I'll just stick to moose. <laughs> i can go where moose go yeah yeah it's i was reflecting small. back on my my doll sheep last year and there's certainly um much scarier situations than we were just in but I, there's also um you know sheep country that's not you know that you can either take the longer way around or you know you don't have to get into that it's just kind of what um Boshman was certainly fearless, and we just kind of like, oh, we're going to go through here or go down that. And um, you just get yourself in situations that are like, whew, butt pucker. But um, hmm. so the end of the hike, I think you said, well, that was my first and last death hike. Uh, still the case? Or have you thought back on it and go, God, you know, maybe there's more takeaways from this than, than I thought right after the hike? And, uh, yeah, where's your head at? I had a lot of takeaways, um, and they they were all good, right? But mm-hmm. I'm not sure. So that's funny because Jack actually mm. texted me this morning, and he's like, "I know you said you weren't going to do it again, but have you rethought it?" And I, I'm not going to say no yet, but um, I could see myself doing something here locally, right, with some friends, and just making it a long hike to kind of push ourselves. Um, my problem, not necessarily a problem is just part of it's the time commitment, right. Of mm-hmm. the training that goes into it. Um, and I know I didn't train nearly as hard as a lot of those other guys did, uh, just listening to them. And then also just the time commitment of getting away and, and getting over there that best time of year. Um, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it was cool that I did it, but it's not as important to me to make it a thing on my calendar to take away from other things. Gotcha. Yeah, I think you had it's probably one of the it was a very unique death hike, very different than any others. Usually there's a lot more, you know, you're hiking within the group, you know, that um and they're multi it was just very different because basically you, you did Bora and then you left and then it was just you and Jack finishing it out. And uh, sure. I think you had a very different experience, but still like you I know you, and then you immediately sent me a list of 10 things that were like, man, these are all, you analyzed it and you took away, like, God, I, I didn't know I was capable of this. And and I learned that, and I, you know, you learned a lot from it. Um, and I think, uh, I, le- I mean, this is the ninth year of doing these and every single one I have new takeaways, right? And it is, some of that's intentional. It's like this year was, what can I do without sleep? Right. And I found out that, like basically over a 48 hour period, I had a combined two and a half hours of sleep and I could still perform pretty well. That's, uh, you know, those, and maybe that never applies again in my life, but, 
the the next time I'm faced with the challenge, it's like, oh, I did that. I could do this, right? It just brings inspires and brings confidence into the next challenge that I'm going to face in life. I think one thing with that, Steve, is like as far as like from a hunting perspective, what I learned of being able to stay up all night was like, okay, if you're way back in there and you get yourself in a position where you do kill something, right? And you're trying to figure out, well, do I just hike back out and sleep or, you know, what do I do? Um, I, I think that I've learned that I could just, you know, essentially pack it out all night long if I had to, like if it was going to be hot the next day um, mm-hmm. and save the meat versus thinking I had to sleep because uh, you can operate if you're in the right mindset anyway, right? You can operate on very little sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I was weird. I came up when we, we had Justin on earlier and just the, it's pretty amazing what you can do. Absolutely. What were some, I know Jeff, I always appreciate about you. You are like analytical and, and think through things. What were some of those takeaways you mentioned uh, sending to Steve? If you don't mind diving into them. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just go through a few of them here. So the first one I said was you're more, capable than you think. And so that was kind of leading into it where I didn't feel like I was in good enough shape to, to do this. Um, but once you got going, right, it's more of the the fear of the unknown than a fear of reality. Um, and so fear was kind of a, a big takeaway on this trip, right? Like I, I was afraid of heights, which prevented me from completing the, the whole route but I didn't regret it. Like I, I have no regrets for not going to the summit. I have no regrets for not going through there. Cause it, for me, it just didn't feel comfortable or right. Um, but there, I also realized that there's a difference between like a fear of death and a fear of failure. Um, so for me, like the fear of death was real for me to go across that, 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 uh, you know, the, the steep cliffs, but, like, I didn't feel like I failed. Um, and I also had that fear of, I guess, not necessarily failure coming into it, but whether or not I'd be able to complete it and stay up with it. But that wasn't a real fear. So just identifying the different fears um, and how I addressed them, I thought was kind of important. Um, the other thing I would say was like that your body can actually do pretty amazing things if you keep it hydrated and proper nutrition. So one thing that I know that I, I don't know if I picked this up from Steve or whoever um, in the group, but it was a game changer for me to just continuing to eat as I was hiking, whether that was popping in a couple of uh, gummy bears or peanut M&Ms or something. I always had something in my side that I was eating, especially when I would get to like a steep climb. Um, I would put some in and then along the way, just pop one or two in consistently. And I felt like it regulated my blood sugar. And, you know, a lot of times in the past, what I've done, I'm going to apply this to hunting too, because I, you hike for two or three hours and then you get tired and then you eat and then it takes a while for that to kick back in. And then you can go again, where if you continuously eat, I felt like I could keep going and felt pretty darn good the whole time. Um, the other thing was like, I stayed in front of my issues. So I was proactive about my feet. Um, I never had any foot issues whatsoever, which was awesome. And then the last thing was just the feeling of accomplishment is one of the best things that you can do for yourself. So even though I didn't necessarily complete the whole route, uh, just the fact that I 
like, I guess, you know, found a different way around it, but then completed as much as that I felt I possibly could. Um, you know, I was proud of myself at the end of the day for, for doing that. And, um, I mean, I never had hiked that far before and the fact that I was afraid to, to do it and then obviously complete it with, I felt like with not ease, but at the end, I, could, I still could have kept going. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That you're more capable than what you think. You know, it's like, I, there's so many times you're, you know, you, you get done packing out an animal and you're like, Oh, I'm done. You know? And I, I think at that point, you're 5% of your capability, right? Like you could do so much more. It, we did Mark. Has that podcast with Ben Reynolds aired yet? Uh, it actually is going up this morning. Yeah. So this is, is it really oh, on, perfect. This is coming out on Friday. It'll be the previous episode. I think four oh eight. Yeah. We so this Ben um, Reynolds Anchorage guy killed a sheep, and the, the you'll have to listen to the podcast, just uh, Jeff, because it's like it's incredible. Um, the pack out that he did. I mean solo sheep leapfrogging the meat all the way out of there 50 mile an hour winds climbing cliffs and at the whole time he was like i got out and i felt great and then it, all it was was just inspiration like how much further how like how much more can i take my body you know uh it was just uh, it's an incredible podcast story so that was what my other takeaway that i i guess i missed i said um i was nervous going in but didn't have a reason to be Fear of the unknown is real. It can keep you from doing amazing things, right? And that's right. Kind of similar yeah. to what you just said with him, right? He's once you get into it, sometimes it's not as bad as you think. Um, one yeah. more takeaway that I that I did not mention. Um, so I I hiked with Jack Lander, who's probably one of the nicest humans that ever uh, has walked <laughs> the planet. Um, and I felt like um, a very bad person for thinking this sometimes, but like he was just nonstop telling me, you know, like, hey, we got. 30 miles to go. And in my mind, I'm thinking, shut up, right? Like, I just want to know where the next trail is. I want to know like where the next peak is, right? Tell me I got 1.5 to go. Um, that's just how my mind works. And then mm. one thing that he kept doing was saying, look at the, these mountains, look how pretty it is. And in my mind, I'm just thinking, focusing on getting to the next point, right? And so when I sat back and reflected afterwards, like Jack was 100% right as far as like take the time to enjoy the scenery um mm -hmm. because it's not just about getting to the end it's about the process along the way and um you know it took me till after the hike to kind of reflect back on that but he was 100 percent right on just like enjoying the scenery whether you're on a hunt or a hike like that to take the time and, and enjoy it yeah that's uh, you're uh i wouldn't you know knowing you very goal driven right goal oriented person create great goals set out how you're gonna achieve them and achieve them and i think um something i certainly you know i'm very wired that way as well but it's like as i little kids at home you know your kids are just a little bit older than mine and it's like when we're out there it's like we owe it to ourselves and to our family and and everyone to make the most of it and it's it's certainly kind of have to rewire your brain to you know, you hear it all the time, right? It's not, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And it's so stinking true to, to stop and, you know, stop and smell the roses, right? You're in For the sure. middle of a hike and you're suffering and all you're, all you're thinking about is the next, you know, like, where's the next turn off to the trail to achieve this next segment. And then just to stop and look around and my God, how, how lucky are we? We're out here doing something amazing. Very few people get to experience scenes like this. Uh, it's, it's pretty special. Absolutely.
Jeff, I think we can talk you back into joining us. I, I hear it. <laughs> well, I, I felt, uh, you know, Mark, that you were intimidated by me coming this year, and that's why you didn't come. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't keep up. And so, you know, I, I, I know you really like doing it. So next year, I'll just bow out so you can make it. Okay. No, I'm just, I refuse to do anything with you, Jeff, until I get you to shoot a small animal. That's, I'm just still bitter about that and Kodiak. And it's like, if I couldn't get you to shoot a small buck, I don't, I just don't know if it's worth spending any time with you. <laughs> I'm very capable of killing small snakes. <laughs> I still, I still don't have any evidence of that, Jeff. I don't, I mean, you say those words, but I don't have any evidence. <laughs> hey, you saw all the raghorns I had in my house. <laughs> that was a former life. <laughs> yeah. Life. Right. Back when we were in the raghorn club together. That's yeah. right. <laughs> I guess, uh, since we just went hunting, well, I think you mentioned something about relating it to hunting, but just bigger picture now. Any takeaways from this death hike, this experience that you'll apply to hunting? Like, I know you mentioned the nutrition, like the constant drip of calories, but bigger picture, like what what will you apply in the future to hunting? I would probably say that I've limited myself on distance mainly because I'm hunting by myself in a lot of cases and I physically do not want to pack something out by myself at, you know, seven to 10 miles. Right. But I also feel like you also don't need to go that far in to kill something. Uh, I've done very, very well hunting close to the road. And, but I think one thing that I'll take away from this is that I am capable physically of going further and, and doing that if the situation dictates that that's needed where maybe before I would move locations. Um, now I, I feel like, okay, like I know I can hike further and be okay. And, and, and do that, you know, with, with confidence for before I would have questioned if that was the right decision for me. Um, the other thing too, I would say is like, I, as far as training, like, at least for me personally, is I don't need to go do st stupid things from a training perspective to be in relatively good shape. It's just being consistent. And for me, hiking with weight is, has been a game changer since I started doing that a number of years ago. And as long as I do that on a, on a routine basis, um, you know, physically I can do just about anything it seems like. So, um, that would probably be it for me. It was just that I can't, I can go further if I want to, not that I will, but it, it's possible. Anything else? Like, I know that's just open-ended, but again, I know how like thoughtful you are. I feel like you had on a ton of takeaways, but uh, anything you want to share? Um, just, you know, leading up to it, like I was very nervous, right? And um, honestly wanted to call Steve and tell him I wasn't coming just because I did not feel physically prepared. And I know like all these other guys, actually there's quite a few new people on this 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 set like but i figured it would be all veterans um coming into it that had done multiple and here i am as a newbie um and i think that first morning hiking up the hill that i was keeping up with um you know chapman and uh, anthony and all those guys like i felt pretty confident in my abilities from that point on um so i think sometimes it's oh, I, I know it's this it's it's just the fear of the unknown right and that that fear, if you let it 
metastasize becomes a real thing that can hold you back from whatever it is that you're doing. Now, people could say, well, your fear of heights right, kept you from going forward. And that's why I come back to the, the fear of death versus like a fear of just failure, right? Um, and I think there is a difference between that. And that's how, at least that's how I justified in my own mind. And for me, I think that that helped going forward of like, okay, if I am afraid to do something, maybe it's at work, right? Afraid to pick up the phone to call somebody. Like what, why is that fear? Is that fear real? Or is that just something that I'm manufacturing in my own mind? And so it can be applied to so many different things in life of the fear of failure, the fear of the unknown and not doing it. Um, and I think that that was one of the biggest takeaways from this is that you don't need to have that. What the worst thing that's going to happen is you get out there and maybe you can't complete it, but then, you know, right. That you can't complete it versus quitting before you even start. Well, there you have it guys. As we've said in many years past, the death hike is not something that everyone can do in terms of getting an invite to the specific death hike that we put on, but it is something that everyone can do, meaning you can go out there, create something like this, grab some buddies, push yourself, find your limits, and more. If you do that, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to podcast at exomountgear.com. Let us know what your experience is doing something like this, similar or just pushing your own limits, whatever that looks like. We've had listeners take us up on that challenge. We've had listener stories about their own quote-unquote death hikes. Maybe you're next. Let us know how it goes. Don't forget as well that this month in July of 2023, we have a giveaway going on where you can win the Ventus hoodie from our friends at Outdoor Vitals. Just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. Look for the entry form there. While you're there, you can also find all previous podcast episodes. You can search by keyword or topic and really see the year's worth of podcasts that we have out there. And as always, if you have anything for us, don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know if you have any questions you want us to cover on a future Q&A episode. If you have any topic or guest suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. And finally, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that you receive future episodes automatically. And we'll talk to you soon.